Until the restoration of the Creator's original calendar was completed and its authenticity and accuracy corroborated by rabbinic scholars here in the land of Israel, we were unable to piece together the divine masterpiece that heaven had been baiting us to discover. Knowledge has indeed increased, as the angel Gabriel revealed to Daniel, and men are now running to and fro at speeds measured in nanoseconds. We can finally understand the things that were deliberately sealed up until the last days. Now, the leaven-free gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that Yeshua and his disciples taught, can be understood with clarity and preached throughout the world with integrity. This is the greatest story never told. It's all about Yeshua, the prophet, the promised Messiah. Join me here in the land of Israel as we take a chronological and archeological journey through the Gospels. You have never seen anything like this before. I'm Michael Rood, prepare for a rude awakening. Yosef ben Medityahu was a Pharisee, a priest, an Israeli military leader in the Galilee, and subsequently a traitor to his troops and his people. After his surrender to Rome, Yosef ben Medityahu changed his name to the Roman emperor's family name, Flavius. Flavius Josephus served Rome as a translator and historian during their war against the Jews. Regardless of him being known as a biographer who did not let facts get in the way of a good story, Josephus had ready access to ancient scrolls that are no longer extant. The writings of Josephus preserve otherwise lost records that help us to pinpoint the year of Yeshua's birth and the year and day of his crucifixion and his resurrection. Josephus does not document those events in particular, but gives us astronomical and historical details that coincide precisely with the gospel records. But care must be taken. Historical revisionists in past millennia have deliberately altered dates in the later copies of the works of Josephus in order to sculpt history to the liking of their religious overlords. In his book of Antiquities, chapter 17, paragraphs 149 and 167, Josephus wrote, two of the most eloquent men among the Jews and most celebrated interpreters of the Jewish law and men well beloved by the people because of their education of their youth, because of a conspiracy against Herod, he deprived Matthias of the high priesthood and burnt alive the other Matthias who had raised the sedition along with his other accomplices. That very night, there was an eclipse of the moon. We can roll the celestial time clock back and view every lunar eclipse that could be seen from the land of Israel at any point in history. There are several eclipses that are cited to support favorite Bethlehem star theories, but all but one contain provable mathematical errors. And those fatal errors exclude but one eclipse from the realm of possibility and reality. The eclipse of January 10, 1 BCE. Josephus told us that the execution of these rabbis transpired shortly before Herod's death, 
We're not told exactly how long before, but the events he recorded can get us close. Herod had two rabbis burned alive on the night of the lunar eclipse of January 10, 1 BCE, less than 20 days after the children of Beit Lechem were slain. Soon thereafter, Herod became ill and traveled to his palace at Masada to recuperate in the mineral baths at the Dead Sea. Growing increasing ill, Herod retired to Jericho, where he received a letter from Caesar Augustus giving him the choice to either exile or execute Herod's problematic son, Antipater. So Herod immediately changed his will, bequeathed the rule of Judea to his son Archelaus, and then had Antipater executed. Five days after Antipater's execution, Herod died. Archelaus had a lavish funeral and mourned Herod's death for seven days. After the funeral, Archelaus attempted to quell an uprising in Judea. He called in the Roman army, which slaughtered 3,000 Pharisees on the Temple Mount just before Passover that spring. Archelaus canceled Passover and was immediately called to Rome to answer for his destabilizing actions. While he was out of the country, an out-and-out rebellion broke out, and Caesar called General Varus out of Syria to crush the uprising. Varus crucified more than 2,000 conspirators in Judea. They ran out of wood for execution stakes, so they bound men in chains waiting in line up to a week for the next cross to become vacant. According to the chronology detailed by the gospel authors, as well as the Roman records and the writings of Josephus, and the astronomical observations, we can determine the following chronology. Herod died after the lunar eclipse of January 10 and before Passover in the year 1 BCE, two years after the first appearance of his star in the constellations depicting the birth of the king of Israel. Herod ordered the death of the children two years and under according to the time that he diligently inquired of the astronomers, so the appearances of his star had to have occurred one to two years before the slaughter of the children, making the sighting of his star in the year three to two BCE. Yeshua was born in the 25th year of the reign of Caesar Augustus, the year in which all citizens of Rome were required to register their support in naming Augustus the father of the empire. The decree was signed into law on February 5th, two BCE. Four months after Yeshua's birth in 3 BCE, about one year before Herod's death in 1 BCE, and about one year after his star first appeared in the year 3 BCE. According to Luke, John the Baptist began his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, which is reckoned from 12 CE when he began his co-regency with the ailing Augustus. John's ministry began in the winter of 26. A few months later, Yeshua began his ministry at the time of his baptism, 55 days before Passover in the year 27. One of the most profound proofs that invalidates all competing chronological hypotheses is found in the Greek text of Luke chapter three, verse 23. 
The King James Version of Luke 3.23 gives a vague description that Yeshua was about 30 years of age when he began his ministry. This verse has been loosely interpreted as Yeshua being anywhere from 26 to 35 years of age, whereas the Greek text gives mathematically exact wording. Yeshua was Jose, nearing but not having yet reached his 30th year. Greek is a mathematically precise language. We are instructed to prove all things, hold fast to that which is true. The word prove is dokumazo, a term used when testing a mathematical hypothesis. Yeshua was nearing the middle of his 29th year, as his birthday, the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, was nearly eight months away. The statement of Luke is not an unattested claim. It is a fact that can be proven mathematically, and one can hold fast to that truth. From the fall of 3 BCE to the spring of 27 of the Common Era was in the middle of Yeshua's 29th year. When Yeshua cleansed the Temple Mount of the merchants before Passover, the Pharisees stated that the temple had been in the building process for 46 years. The building of Herod's temple commenced in 19 BCE. The 46th year was, again, the spring of 27 of the Common Era. The lunar eclipse of January 10, 1 BCE, was the only lunar eclipse in history that fits every biblical, every Roman, and astronomical record in extent. Eclipses that occurred in the preceding years require Yeshua to be born in 627 BCE. If Yeshua was born in 7 BCE and commenced his ministry in 27 of the Common Era, soon after Yohanan ben Zachariah began immersing in the Jordan, it would make Yeshua 35 years of age, rather than nearing but not having yet reached his 30th year, as precisely stipulated in every single Greek text of Luke 3.23. Once we find the beginning of Yeshua's ministry, we can then pinpoint the date of every one of the Feast of the Lord according to the Creator's calendar. That was the only calendar in use in the land of Israel from when we first stepped foot onto the west bank of the Jordan with Joshua until the last act of the Sanhedrin in Tiberias when the Pharisee rabbis changed from the Creator's calendar to a calculated logarithm in 359 of the common error. As diligent as one might search, no one will ever find a reference in the prophets where the Messiah or anyone else would be called a Nazarene, as the King James Version suggests. As the disciples prepare to commemorate Purim, the story of how Queen Esther's bravery saved the Israelites from certain death, Yeshua receives word that his friend Lazarus is gravely ill. Yet Yeshua does not come to his aid until all seems lost. Just like the story of Purim. This month, Michael Rood presents an exclusive new teaching, Purim, the Lazarus parable. This is one of the many times in the Gospel of John where a scribe added in a description that was not in the original text. Purim, the Lazarus Parable, is Michael Rood's new teaching from the 20-episode Love Gift Teaching Series. 
And the only way you can get it is with your love gift donation in March. We have to understand what they, the scribes and Pharisees, teach. You know, they who will not see the kingdom of heaven, we have to understand what they're saying. The Torah says one thing, but how they read it can be something different. Own Purim, the Lazarus parable, right now, when you give a love gift donation of $50 or more. Or donate $100 or more to get this new teaching plus the story of Esther on a scroll. A Megillah, concealed in an elegant wooden case. This scroll includes the entire biblical book of Esther. English on one side, Hebrew on the other. Illustrated in full color classic artwork. And the case features a leather-like wrap with gold embossing and a metallic seal depicting the story of Esther. Get this attractive showpiece now. Plus Michael Rue's new teaching, Purim. The Lazarus Parable. Whatever you give away, whatever you forfeit for me, you'll receive back a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Act now to get Michael Rood's new teaching, Purim, The Lazarus Parable, plus The Scroll of Esther. Hurry, this offer is only available in March. Make your love gift donation now, online or by phone. Michael Rood's Message of Truth is broadcast all over the world, but none of it happens without the monthly financial support of our Ambassador Club members. And right now, membership has more benefits than ever. I'm giving into a ministry that is helping to feed other people that have the same hunger that I do. Join now, and Michael Rood will send you the Ambassador Club Welcome Kit, an exclusive messenger bag stocked with teaching DVDs, Red Sea Crossing cards, and more. You'll also receive ambassador-only bonus gifts whenever you make a separate donation to receive the monthly love gift. Best of all, you'll get ambassador-only sale prices in our online bookstore several times throughout the year, plus exclusive invitations to Ambassador Club functions at Rude Awakening events. All it takes is a modest commitment of $100 per month or an annual gift of $1,200. Call now or visit the Rude Awakening website to join the Ambassador Club. When Herod was dead, the angel of Yehovah appeared in a dream to Yosef in Egypt. Rise up, take the young child and his mother and return to the land of Israel. Those who sought the child's life are dead. So Yosef arose and took the child and his mother and returned to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus reigned in Judea in the place of his father Herod, Yosef was afraid to go there. He was also warned by the Almighty in a dream to go around Judea and into the Galilee, which means the region of the Gentiles. So he went to live in the village of Nazareth. This fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. As diligent as one might search, no one will ever find a reference in the prophets where the Messiah or anyone else would be called a Nazarene, as the King James Version suggests. Why? The Bible was not written in English. The prophet Yeshayahu, Isaiah, prophesied that there would be a branch that shoots forth out of the stump of the family tree of Jesse, and out of its roots a Netzer will spring forth. A netzer is a branch from the olive tree that shoots forth from the original root system, 
but springs up at a later time and somewhat distant from the original trunk, which may have already been cut down because of its inability to produce fruit. The prophets tell us that the Messiah, the son of David, will be a tzemach, a branch out of the trunk of David. But Isaiah tells us something very specific about that branch, in that he will be a netzer. The netzer will grow out of the original root, but will be removed in time and place from the original family tree of King David, which was originally established in Bethlehem. This village of Netzeret in the Galilee region of northern Israel was inhabited primarily by the family of David. Both Miriam, who was of the bloodline of King David through his son Solomon, and her husband Yosef, who was of the bloodline of King David through another son, Natan, lived in Netzeret among their distant relatives. The people of Netzeret most likely settled in this area during the Greek occupation when Jerusalem and neighboring Bethlehem were a literal battleground. These descendants of David named their village in recognition of their identity as a shoot springing forth from the original root of the tree of Jesse at a distant place and time. Both Miriam and Yosef had relatives in Bethlehem, which made it easy for them to live there after the birth of Yeshua until they had to flee to Egypt. Upon their return from Egypt, their intention was to return to Beit Lechem, but they were given divine instructions to return to Netzeret. Luke interjects into the chronology with his third summary statement, and then takes us to the most profound incident in Yeshua's childhood. The child grew and was strengthened in spirit. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of Yehovah was upon him. The next stop in the gospel narrative, the year 10 of the common error. Yeshua goes up to the feast of Passover with his family. There on the Temple Mount, he confronts the most brilliant minds assembled on planet Earth. When at last his parents found him, they were amazed and his mother said, son, why have you dealt with us in this way? Look at us. Your father and I have searched for you with great anguish. The Messiah was not born on December 25th, but many false gods were. Break out of spiritual blindness and show others the way with truth and tradition. In just 30 minutes, Michael Rood explains the disturbing truth about Christmas and why believers should have nothing to do with it. Watch Truth and Tradition and discover the prophecy you never knew about the Messiah's birth. Order your copy of Truth and Tradition exclusively from A Root Awakening International. As the disciples prepare to commemorate Purim, Yeshua receives word that his friend Lazarus is gravely ill. Yet Yeshua does not come to his aid until all seems lost, just like the story of Purim. This month, Michael Root presents an exclusive new teaching, Purim, the Lazarus parable. This is one of the many times in the Gospel of John where a scribe added in a description that was not in the original text. Own Purim, the Lazarus parable right now when you give a love gift donation of $50 or more or donate $100 or more to get this new teaching plus the story of Esther on a scroll concealed in an elegant wooden case.
We have to understand what they, the scribes and Pharisees, teach. You know, they who will not see the kingdom of heaven, we have to understand what they're saying. The Torah says one thing, but how they read it can be something different. Act now to get Michael Rood's new teaching, Purim, the Lazarus Parable, plus the Scroll of Esther. Hurry. The lives of Israeli victims hang critically in the balance, following events of terror, violence, and war. But there's another painful problem. Men, women, and children living in poverty. And you can be there for them. Visit us online at thelydiaproject.com. You'll find personal stories from the people who need you and the information you need to make a difference in their lives. When you give to The Lydia Project, you enable us to send help. Emotional and spiritual encouragement are especially needed during these critical days of recovery. Your support enables our ground team in the land of Israel to function as Yehovah intended, providing for the wounded soldiers, widows, orphans, and the poor. Help Israel. Give to the Lydia Project. Luke records that Every year, Yeshua's parents went up to Jerusalem for the Passover. When Yeshua was 12 years old, they all went up to Jerusalem according to the commandment. The term went up in the past tense or go up in the future is anabayinu, which is the Greek equivalent of aliyah in Hebrew. Aliyah or going up to the Feast of Yehovah is a requirement and an honor bestowed upon all male Israelites who have reached the age of personal responsibility. Yeshua went up a year earlier than that which was dictated by tradition, and what happened in Jerusalem stunned the sages. When they had fulfilled the days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they returned home. But Yeshua tarried in Jerusalem, and Yosef and his mother did not realize it. They went a day's journey supposing that he was among the caravan before they began searching for him among their relatives and neighbors. When they could not find him, they immediately returned to Jerusalem and began searching for him. Yosef and Miriam traveled an entire day without even checking to see if Yeshua was with them. Imagine the panic that set in when at the end of the day they realized he was nowhere to be found. Even though traveling at night is strenuously avoided, I doubt that they got a good night's sleep before racing back to Jerusalem. Imagine their frantic prayers when they realized they had left Yeshua behind. Oh God, oh God, we we left your son in Jerusalem. I'm a fool, I'm an idiot. Forgive me, please help me, I promise. I'll never do this again. Keep Yeshua safe, I promise. I'll do anything you ask. In Jesus' name, Amen. They didn't walk. They didn't run. They sprinted back to Jerusalem and searched for him for the next three days in sleepless nights. Verse 46, finally, after three days of searching, they found him sitting in the temple amongst the Torah sages, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone that heard him was astonished at his understanding and his answers. The word astonished is a gross understatement. The Greek word is existemi, 
which means completely outside the mind. Yeshua's understanding of the scriptures was far beyond the wisdom of the greatest sages of the day. They could not begin to comprehend the complexity of his answers, nor could they intellectually entertain his enigmatic inquiries. At 12 years of age, it was as if he was from a different planet. Day after day, they tried to stump him with the questions that they had grieved over an entire lifetime. And day after day, he made the wisdom of the sages appear as sandbox child's play. Verse 48, when at last his parents found him, they were amazed and his mother said, son, why have you dealt with us in this way? Look at us, your father and I have searched for you with great anguish. Yeshua replied, how is it that you sought me? Did it not occur to you that it behooved me to be in my father's house? When they finally found Yeshua in the temple, after three days and nights of searching, they understandably lashed out at him, but he responded with a very simple and insightful question. How did you search for me? Their method of searching for him was the only thing that he questioned not their right or responsibility to do so. They were the ones who left him behind. Yeshua went to the temple where he would be safe and cared for by the priest on duty. He had been in the temple the entire time, in my father's house, and he had to wait four days for them to finally look for him there. Where did they look for him during those days? If it had occurred to them to look in the temple as soon as they got back to Jerusalem, they would have saved themselves a lot of emotional torment. They were understandably upset, and apparently not wearing T-shirts prompting them, WWJD, what would Jesus do? The King James expresses the verse, I must be about my father's business, but there is no word business in any Greek text. Murdoch's 1852 translation from the Aramaic renders it, I had to be in my father's house, which is consistent with the context. Verse 50, Yosef and Miriam did not fully understand what Yeshua was telling them. He went down from Jerusalem with them and returned to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother quietly kept all these things in her heart. Yeshua was neither belligerent nor disobedient. He returned with them to Nazareth and continued to honor and to be subject to them. The incident at the temple in Jerusalem gives us all the information we need concerning Yeshua's formative years. At the age of 12, his understanding of the Torah and the prophets and his answers to the most difficult questions of Torah law utterly confounded the sages of his day. Yeshua expounded the scriptures in a manner that left them awestruck. Luke closes the record of Yeshua's childhood with the fourth summary statement in his gospel. There is nothing more to be said. And Yeshua increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man.